This is David's Book Talk, bringing authors and book lovers together in a unique way since 2009. Visit us at davidsbooktalk.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash davidsbooktalk. But first, pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Here's your host, David English. Hello and welcome to David's Book Talk. And today we have a very special guest. Her name is Bonnie Kistler. And she's got a beautiful new book, a beautiful red-covered new book called House on Fire, a novel. It's really like a domestic thriller, I think she's called it. And it is published by Atria Books just out in all, all over the country. Hello. Good morning. Uh, you know what's, what's interesting about your book is this, this quote on the back. I, I've never seen something like that before in a book. No one should be forced to decide whether to be a parent first or a spouse. That little that little aside down at the bottom. Yes, that's, that's lifted from the text. Who who was whose idea was that to put that on there? Because I don't you don't normally see that on the back of the book. You usually see yeah, quotes from authors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My editor decided to do a pull quote uh, from the text to give readers a. Uh, you know, a sample of what it was going to be like, what the theme was, and so we, you know, t- tossed around a couple of different, couple of different excerpts, and that was the one that won. But you're right; it's unusual. It is very, and it's it's that's what's great about books. You you pick up a book and you see something you've never seen before in a book, and it's like, it's really neat. It's like something uh-huh. new all the time. Uh-huh. I, so you call this a domestic thriller. Or domestic suspense is the yeah. other term I see used. Well, it's funny how the how the books get certain. T- um, yeah, p- yeah. I mean, where do you put it? Do you put it in fiction? Do you put it in mystery? Do you put it in thriller? It's really a, a little of both of all of that. Yes. And is that intentional? I mean, did you start out wanting to write something like that, or did it just? Is you that know, just I've the never, way it went? I've never been a, a a slave to the whole genre division idea. I think that. Uh, you know, fiction is fiction, and a novel is a novel. And the idea that that some books are considered novels and others are considered mysteries, as though it's a lesser, you know, it's like a stepchild. Right. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. You know, I think that that uh, whatever the subject matter of a book, if it's got you know well-developed characters, if it's got uh, a, a true theme uh, that resonates with people, you know, I, I think that they can it can be sci-fi, it can be mystery, but I think it's all still novels. So I'm I'm just not into that whole segmentation of the market. Although I know, of course, obviously the booksellers are right. Now, just reading this book and how well the characters are so well drawn out. It's amazing as you read them. You really feel for them. You really feel like they're especially the uh, the Reverend. <laughs> He's wonderful. Uh-huh. I, I've, I've, as soon as we meet him, we kind of fall in love with him. Uh huh. I'm glad to hear you say that. And, it, you know, you don't always feel that way in a book. Sometimes the book is all plot-driven, and we all know writers who write like that. But <laughs> I won't name any, but, <laughs> but sometimes it's all plot-driven. It's just, you know, get, get on with the story. But you don't always know the, the characters, and it's so important that you feel the, the characters in your mind, that you, you feel that they're real people. Yeah, and in this story especially, I think, because it involves, you know, something that strikes a blow right at the heart of their family. Right. Uh, so, that, so that it's really got to be people that you have some investment in. Do you, do you feel this there. is probably one of the best books you've ever written? You know, I, th- I always think that my most recent one is the best book I've written. Right. <laughs> if, ever, if ever I didn't think that, I think I was backsliding. But yes, I do. I do uh, feel, feel that this is a, a leap above my earlier. My earlier books, as, as we discussed, uh, were written you know, 20 years ago and were more uh, traditional legal thrillers. Mm-hmm. And this one uh, went off in a little different. Obviously, the main character is still a lawyer, and there still are um, courtroom elements to the story. But that sort of takes a back seat to the you know the bigger emotional issues of the story. Right. It's and it's such a gripping story. I mean, it, it's one of these these books, and I didn't know what I was getting into. When I first, when you first pick a book up, you have no idea what it's going to be like and how you're going to react to it. And that's the important thing: how to, how a reader reacts to a book. Uh. And this book, you just get so into, it, and it's so heavy at the beginning, but then, it, then it, then it like, it gets easier as it goes along. You know what I mean? It, the heaviness kind of wears off a little bit, but it's still there. You mean the, you mean the tragedy? Which yes. Is no spoiler. It's not a spoiler because right. it's written you know, right on the cover that uh, the the main character's daughter dies 
right. an accident. Right. I don't want to get any nasty emails from people saying, "Don't spoil the book for us. We hate. We'll hate you forever." Yeah. That's, that's not a spoiler. You know, it's, a, it's given away uh, from the start. The spoiler is what were the circumstances of her death? Who's responsible for her death? And, uh, and that's where it gets all into the the naughty plot elements. But yeah, I wanted to do a, a meditation on grief. I think that. Um, I think that our society, especially our fast-paced, you know, professional world society, doesn't give enough time to mourning and grief. Mm-hmm. And I think when you lose somebody, you need to have that time to, to process, to get on, figure out how to get on with your life. Whereas we're all kind of, you know, three days later after the, we had the funeral and we're back to work. And I wanted my character here to go through all those processes, you know, the whole process of grieving. So you're right, it's a little, it's kind of emotional heavy baggies at first but then we get more caught up in the in the mystery of of what happened how we figure out what happened and who's delivering those mysterious flowers and what's going on and there's so many uh, things that are going on in the story that and all of a sudden we're hitting getting hit in all sides and it, but it feels good it's like wow how's that going to play into the story what, what's that going to mean because everything in a story can mean something mm-hmm and I promise it all does tie together. <laughs> <laughs> but that must be very difficult. I can't imagine what it's like to sit down and write a novel. And there's all these revisions that are done even after you do the first draft. I mean, how many, like oh, in your... many. How many? <laughs> this went through many, many drafts. So was this, a, was this like a multi-year effort for you? Uh, it was, I think it was probably almost two years before I even finished the first draft. And then I did a couple turnarounds after that with my agents who had some, some ideas, which turned out to be very helpful. Uh, so, you know, oh, probably it was three years by the time it was absolutely finished and going off to the publishing houses. So the agent, you would think the editor would be the one that would give you all the good advice. But yeah, well, you know, I didn't, because as I mentioned, I had a 20-year hiatus, uh, so I right. did not have a current editor to work with. So why was it? That- going out. Right. You know, from scratch. So the question everybody's wondering now is, why was there a twenty-year hiatus? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Where was you know, she for twenty years? You know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I practiced law for many years. I in the early nineties, I quit. I wrote several novels, and then in two thousand one, Enron filed bankruptcy, and I just had this real draw that there was going to be historic. Uh, event, lots of litigation coming out of it. I knew that my old law firm was going to play a major part, and I thought I should be part of that. And so they took me back. I'm happy to say they all, all were always willing to take me back. Mm-hmm. And and I worked on that case. But then I got it's it's terrible how you get sucked into certain things, and I got totally sucked in to the work again. And it was it was like I blinked, and ten years had passed. And I was like, I really want to get back to writing. I've missed this so much. And uh, I had to, you know, just really cut cut ties with my law firm. I actually moved out of the area so mm. that I wouldn't be tempted to go back again. Right. <laughs> and that, and then once I was uh, was firmly out of my law practice, I was able to get back to writing, and and this was the, the book that resulted. It's obvious that this is something you love because it it, it shows in the book. The book is really, really that good, and I, and. And that's not true of every book you pick up. There's some books you pick up and you can't, just can't get into the story at all. But mm-hmm. this one, bam, you're right into the story. You're right into these characters, and you. And I hate to say it, but you love the you love the stuff that happens between the characters. <laughs> you love the you love the interactions, like who's going to yell at who and who's going to. But it, it, it but that makes the story more interesting. That makes you know, you know, how's that confrontation going to come out, or what's going to happen here? And this family's just falling apart as we read the book. And it, yeah. but it's 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 like watching a train wreck. It's fascinating. You can't look away. Yes, right. And the sad thing about this particular family is that they were they considered themselves the most perfectly bent, blended family ever. You know, they they both are divorced. Husband and wife are divorced. They both bring previous children together in the marriage. They live in a combined household. And the miracle is they all get along. Her kids love him. His kids love her. They love each other. Everything is just great. And it just shows how fragile everything was that, that this one, you know, tragic event blows that all up. And, and all of their, you know, happy years are suddenly it's like gone. Right, exactly. Now, you don't. None of this is stuff that's really happened to you, or, or is it? Or is it something that happened to friends, or anything, or, or is it all in your mind? Uh, it's, I've observed it in friends and family. It fortunately, has not happened to me. I'm still married to the same husband, and we still have the same shared children. So I've never lived in the blended family 
situation, but of course I've observed it, uh, you know, in, in many, many people I'm close to. And, and then, you know, the rest was just pure imagination, just, just doing the what ifs. You know, that's, I think that where a lot of fiction comes from is you take a situation and think, but what if this happened? And then just spin it out. And that's exactly. How it developed. Exactly. But you're, you're very good at telling a story. I mean, that's so important. I mean, and, and I don't just say that because I'm promoting the book. I wouldn't be talking to you if the book wasn't great. It, and it is great. And, I, and I, I don't tell people that if I really don't mean it. Oh, okay. There's, when you read a book, you have to be able to sit down and, and get lost in the book. And it's such a great feeling. We all know that feeling when we find that book that just, yes. that just speaks to us and, and, and won't let go. And we don't even want it to end because we're afraid, you know, what's going to happen after? What will I do yeah. after? How will I find another one like this? How will I fill that void? Yep. And it, it, it sounds like such a stu stupid thing, but it isn't. It's really, as a reader, you just want good, good, good all the time. But unfortunately, you have to get through the bad to get to the good sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that too as a reader? Oh, I do. I do. You know, I, I am a big reader. And, uh, I get uh, you know, frustrated sometimes with the, um, the mundane characteristics of a lot of popular fiction. And I really, I, I often search out the more obscure stuff because I think, you know, there's where more interesting novel, experimental kind of things are being done. I'm reading a mystery right now called Reservoir 13 by John McGregor. It takes place in a little English mm. village. And it's unlike, stylistically unlike anything I've ever read before. And I'm not sure I know where it's going, and I'm not sure, you know, I can't, but I haven't finished it. I can't say for sure that, that it's going to be a successful feat, but I'm really intrigued. And, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, just as you were saying, you just don't want to put it down. You know, it's like, God, to see how he's going to pull this off. How is he doing this? And, and, uh, and that kind of, uh, you know, more than just a mental involvement, you know, you're really engaged on all levels. That's, that's what I think is the, you know, the, the pinnacle of good reading. Right. Did you have any trouble at all writing the book? I mean, were there, were there, were there parts of the book that were more difficult than others to write? And, and did you struggle with certain parts? You know, uh, I struggled a lot with the ending. And I mentioned earlier that it went through a couple of drafts. It had a couple of different endings. And it didn't always... End so how do you know what's the right ending? You know, it's so hard. <laughs> and I, I think endings are, are just hard. I've been reading a lot the last week about the, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan. Oh, yeah. But the, the Game of Thrones, and so many people were disappointed with season eight and with the last episode in particular. And, uh, and I've, I'm among them. Uh, but I, I think, well, endings are just really hard. You create this huge universe and have all these different players in play. And we're so engaged with all of these different characters. How are you going to ever bring this to a satisfying resolution? And there's no way you can satisfy everybody, and which is, was evidence there. But, but anyway, uh, that's what I mentioned earlier. My agent helped me with uh, some of the earlier drafts. And uh, I really re came to rely on her a lot for, you know, this ending just doesn't, I think that it ought to go this way. And, you know, and, and uh, the current book, in, the one I have in progress right now, I'm having the same dilemma. I've got all this stuff, these balls in the air, and it's like, what's the best way to catch them all and to, to bring it in for a landing? I'm mixing my metaphors there, but that, no, that's, the, uh, that's the dilemma I'm facing. Well, that's great. It's great to hear that, that the, what the process you go through because it's fascinating to hear about. Mm -hmm. And you're right; endings mean a ton. If you read a book and then suddenly the ending's bad, uh, yeah. it really can be upsetting. I I think of the the General's Daughter by Nelson DeMille, which I thought was this tremendous book. Up until the end, I hated the ending of that book. Uh, I've not read that. And you know, and, and I still remember how much I hated that ending to this day. But the book was so well written, I could almost forgive him. I'm not sure if I have or not. <laughs> yeah. But I've actually talked to Nelson and Bill. I didn't. I don't think I mentioned that to him. I was afraid I'd hurt his feelings. But because he's, a, he's I, bet, a, I bet he can take it. He's a terrific human being. I mean, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. But sometimes you just have a, a bad reaction to an ending. You you expect yeah. something more than you get. Yeah. And I don't know, I can't explain it except to, to know that I know when I read a book what it, whether an ending satisfying. The only way I know is if I get to it, and I'll tell you if it is or not. That's right. So yeah. you, should, you should send me your new book, and I'll tell you if the ending's good or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I say. Yeah, no. I may take you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think that it's so important. I mean, you, to invest this much time in a story, you expect that kind of satisfying ending. You expect, you expect that there there be maybe a shock, maybe something you didn't see that you should have seen, like that sixth sense kind of thing. 
God, yeah. that's wonderful. You know, and it's fun. It's amazing that he never, he was never able to do a movie he like that. that early success, yeah. That was it. I mean, that was the yeah, only movie yeah. I've seen of his that had that spectacular ending. And he yeah, just, yeah. which it just proves that it's very difficult to do every time or even that's twice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. Sometimes you have that magical book and then you have nothing like Harper yeah. Lee. But, you know, it. Yeah. Maybe hers was more that she didn't want to do anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. Writing is a strange business, is it not? Oh, it sure is. I mean, do you... But, do you, you know, it's, I think it's a great one, too. It's one of the few things... Well, it's not one of the few, but, but what I love about it is that it can be such a solitary effort. You know, sometimes I really... I'm a big film buff, uh, too. Right. And uh, I love the whole, you know, the whole spectacle of a, of a, of a well-done film. But then I think, you know, it's so collaborative and not... One, even the director can't completely control the outcome. You know, there's so many different players involved, and and I think the the good thing about being a novelist is that you know I'm in the driver's seat the whole time, and and I can do it by myself. I don't need you know input from other people except obviously read, read the draft after it's done. But right, uh, and to, to be to be able to give your imagination rein. And just say, you know, let's just see where this goes, or you know, maybe I'll try this. And it's uh, it's a great feeling to be able to do that. It is. That being said, I have to say that I often say I hate writing. I don't enjoy it at all. I love having written. I love I love it when it's done. <laughs> then we look back at it. But when I'm in the you know in the in the trenches, sometimes I just say this is so hard. I really don't like this. Why am I doing this? But don't you don't you have that attitude that that I will get through this and I'll be looking back on this and laughing and having yep. a. <laughs> I mean that's got to be there at some point, or you would just give up. I would. Think. Oh, you would. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you have to know. You have to have. You have to have confidence that you can do this. That you can get through it. Yep. And that's that's the difficult part. I think of, you know, like Nora Roberts, who's written almost 200 books. And I boy, think, ah. boy, how does she do that? Uh, but she's constantly writing a book. It, it never ends. You, you just, you can't even imagine what she goes through. No, and, no. And, you know, and writing, you know, just one book in particular is, is difficult. I mean, uh, Elizabeth George takes four years sometimes to write a book, and we, we, yeah. we're all waiting with bated breath for for her, her next one, yeah. For her next one. I mean, but and but some, you know, authors you read and you're like, I, I just don't get into this writer. I just don't like this writer. But who knows why? There's no there's no obvious answer. It's just you like it or you don't. Yeah. And, and if it were easy to identify, then it would be, you know, two formulaics and everybody would do it. You know, if you, if you have X, Y, and Z, then it would be a good book. And, you know, it's just, it's not that easy. It can't be reduced to and that. One, one of the reasons I like this book is the title. I think the title's very fitting, House on Fire. That, yeah, yeah. And it, this house, these people are, I mean, Peter and Lay and, and Kip, they're all, like, at, at each other. They're not at each other's throats, but they're just at, at crossroads. They don't know what to say to each other. Yeah, they can't even speak, which is part of the problem. I mean, well, how do you deal with grief? when it's so hard to deal with. I mean, it's like, what do you say to a person who's lost a daughter? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry isn't good enough. And yeah. what is good enough? And that's, I love the way you get into that. I love it because that's a real big problem with society. That's exactly, exactly right. And the title also comes from not only the, this house blowing up, but there's an old Turkish proverb that goes, a liar's house is on fire and no one believes him. Uh, oh, which is, my. it's a variation on the, uh, the boy who cried wolf, you know, Anybody who lies that often, when something serious happens, they're not going to be believed, and that's the possibly the uh, the dilemma facing the teenage boy Kip. Uh, he's he's just you know he's kind of a notorious uh, prankster, bad boy, uh, who's who's lied a lot, and so nobody's believing him now when he's telling the story about what happened in the accident, and uh, a lot of the, uh, the the kind of true theme of this book is the whole subject of truth and lying. And uh, this issue of the good lie, right. which I—that's one piece of interesting research I did into the philosophy and going back to the early Christian writers, you know, Saint Augustine and everything, on the subject of lying, because we're sort of taught as children that you know it's a sin to lie, it's always wrong to lie, but in fact, you know, the Bible doesn't really say that. It's only a sin to lie in certain circumstances, and there are many circumstances. And and uh, this character, the Reverend, uh, gives a, gives a lecture on the subject when. Lying is a good thing, and of course we we can think of lots of examples where it's just the you know it's the tactful thing. Uh, but sometimes lying to protect somebody else 
can, can be a virtue, and that's one of the uh, one of the mysteries of this book. Is is that what is that what's going on? Is somebody you know lying to protect somebody else? And I think your writing really has gotten really great. I mean, if this is any indication. I can't wait for the next one. Oh, thank you, David. But there's this smoothness to the writing. That's that's important too. There are certain books that have a smooth writing style. This one does, and it's you know you you can't wait for the next chapter to see where's this going. Oh, now this is getting interesting. Uh -huh. that, that's the feeling we're getting, and you know, and that's that's a that's a great feeling. But you don't always feel that with the book. Sometimes it's just, you know, oh, okay. Or it's long, it's long chapters that get really descriptive and we get kind of ho-hum, we're getting bored. Yeah. We don't get bored with your book at all. <laughs> That's good to hear. There's no boredom. But you can't afford to have boredom because that means they won't, they won't buy the book or they won't enjoy the book and they won't be back. And, you know, there's so, so much competition for people's attention these days. Right. You know, there's, you're looking at your phone and you've got 12 things going on there and there's something that Netflix is streaming, you know, how do you, how do you hold anybody's attention? And uh, I know I, I have trouble myself focusing sometimes because there's so many different things that uh, you want to attend to. So I think it's, that makes it even, even more important in writing a novel to make sure that you've, you grab the reader's attention and you, you hold on to it. You don't let it lapse. And I, I love the scenes where Lay is kind of, you know, she has to do certain things and she really has no energy. Her, you know, her, she's, her daughter being dead has just taken so much out of her, and she's still got to go on with her normal, everyday life. Mm -hmm. And you, you think, how, how in the world would you do something like Oh, when you put yourself into somebody else's shoes, you think, well, how would I go on? How in the world would I ever go on after something like that? And that's, you know, and that's another part of grief that's just so overwhelming. Yeah. And, you know, how do, how do you get any joy? You wake up, uh, and the scene where she wakes up and she realizes what's happened, it takes her a few minutes to realize that that's a scary feeling. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, and there's a lot of, of thought-provoking stuff in this book, and that's good. That's really good. Mm -hmm. And I, I just wonder, if, I mean, how much research you did with all the, with all the grief. And, I mean, did you talk to people who've been through this? Did you... Did you you know, I, I have, of course, you know, just with, with many of my friends and, and relatives uh, who have lost people, and especially when they've lost young people, um, which I think is, you know, makes the, makes the tragedy all the greater. But uh, that, that scene you were just talking about where she wakes up, I think that goes something like waking was when it was worst. She wakes up, floating up out of sleep in her normal, ready to meet her normal happy life, and then it hits her. Oh, no, you know, and then you remember. And I can remember after, after losing both of my parents, that was the exact sensation I experienced when I, when I would wake up. I'd wake up feeling good, and then suddenly, you know, remember, oh no, they've just died. You know, and, and it just hits you. And it's like it's like reliving the tragic event over and over again every time you wake up. And that's why Lee, Lee decides she doesn't want to wake up. <laughs> she would just rather take sleeping pills and stay asleep rather than have to face that again and again. That, is, it, is that hard to write when you when you have to be realistic about it? I mean, is it hard to knowing that you've been through grief and know what it feels like? Is that does that make it harder to write or easier to write? You know, actually, I think it's easier, and it it helps to put things in into words and to to feel like you've gotten the right phrase to capture an experience you've actually had and say, oh yes, that that fits it. That's the way it felt. Uh, I, I think it helps you process the feelings. Rather than you know our normal reaction in our society is to suppress you know repress uh, these feelings, uh, I think the exercise uh, exercise of trying to describe it helps you process it. So what was it when you first turned the book in? What was the reaction of Atria when they first saw it? I'm curious. Well, I was lucky enough to have an editor who adored it on first sight, and uh, she was wonderfully uh, supportive and enthusiastic about it and uh then then it went to the as, as you know the process is it goes to the sales force to see whether or not they can get the same sort of enthusiasm from the people who are actually out marketing it and it was a wonderful reaction from the sales force and they they had uh, sort of the same reaction you said which is that you just instantly love all these characters and feel like you know them and um and are just just really invested in their journey and how they and, and you're rooting for them too you want them to come out of this yeah, and you, now that's another big thing. You wonder how in the world is their life ever going to be the same again? How are they ever going to get back to that joy they had before, that way they were before? How are they ever going to feel that again? Yeah. And thankfully, the minister comes along, the reverend comes along, and he's helping out. 
God, thank God for that reverend. You know, <laughs> it's a, I mean, he's a huge help. Sometimes you need that outside help, somebody to tell you that. Exactly. Yeah, somebody who was not so close to the situation. She needed to talk to somebody. And, and you know, yeah. why is it that when we need family the most, sometimes they're the, the most difficult people to talk yeah. to? Yeah, because why they're is tangled it? up in the events too. You know, they're they're having their own reactions, and they can't be you know the sort of dispassionate uh, advisor counselor that that you need in the situation. So you, and, being, a, being a lawyer and being a writer, are, do they equally give you pleasure, or is... Oh, I'd have to say that being a writer gives me many times more pleasure than being a lawyer. I, you know, I always enjoyed the mental challenge of being a lawyer, but there was a lot about the day-to-day -day work that you know, was either boring or too fractious. You know, I used to, I, because I was a litigator, you know, I always had opposing counsel, and we were always at odds, and I... I reached the point where every time the phone rang, I kind of dreaded answering because I knew I was going to end up in a shouting match with somebody. And that's right. not my temperament. I'm a pretty easygoing, you know, person. Right. But the job required me to be uh, very antagonistic or at least to respond to people who were being very antagonistic. And that was something I really just did not enjoy. Plus, so plus I, with it being a right, you don't have to get dressed up at all. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't ever have to wear a suit. You can just sit at home, wear your pajamas, and run. Oh, that's right. That's uh, that's an excellent part. <laughs> <laughs> and who who doesn't love not having to get dressed up? I mean, I I imagine as a lawyer it would take you an hour or an hour. You have to get ready sometimes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, when you compute all the the bathroom stuff and everything, it had to be stressful. I mean, do I have everything? Do I look okay? Yeah. I mean, because knowing that you're gonna be, you know. Seen in public, you know, almost every day, you'd be in court, or you'd be in a deposition, or you'd be in some situation where people were going to be observing you and uh, judging you, and uh, and then not only the time getting ready to leave the house, but then I commuted from from you know thirty miles, twenty miles outside Philadelphia, and so then you'd have the whole commute, you know, nightmare. And that's the, a great thing about writing is my commute's about five feet. <laughs> Get up and I walk five feet to my desk. <laughs> now, what made you decide on the D.C. location? Is it just because? That's you know, that's an, that's an interesting story because the first draft of this was actually set in suburban Philadelphia, you know, in the horse country. I actually had a place in Willistown Township uh, in mind. And the reason I changed it was I got very interested in this diplomatic immunity issue. Right. One of the main character's clients is a, is a woman, ambassador's wife, who's trying to divorce her husband, the ambassador. Right. And, and uh, in order to have that subplot, which ties in eventually, I promise, <laughs> uh, I had to move it to D.C. And I thought, well, you know, the, the horse country of northern Virginia is probably even more famous than the horse country of suburban Philadelphia. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll just transplant this to there and make her a, a, you know, a partner in a big D.C. firm. Also, my law firm in Philadelphia had a big branch office in, in D.C., out of which I often worked. So I felt, uh, you know, I was on familiar turf there in terms of the D.C. bar. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it uh, it was you know for that reason fairly easy to tra to transport. The one thing that changed though was that the uh, DUI laws of Virginia are a little different from the DUI laws of, of Pennsylvania, and that uh, that figured you know, prominently in the the legal aspects of this story. There's so, so many I different to... aspects to this story. That's what amazes yeah. me that you're able to pull all those together into a, a totally coherent story. I mean, it has to be. You can't have these dangling threads. Yeah, everything's got to make sense, and that's difficult. Yes, sir. yes, yeah. I mean, it's easy to criticize a writer and say, well, I don't like this or I don't like that, but you have to realize how what the writers go through to get to where they are, to, to, to tell a story. And, you know, sometimes you'll wonder, well, if a book's not well written, maybe they had they were rushed or something. But, you know, when you put a book out, it's supposed to be really great every time. But how difficult is that? I mean, how difficult yeah. is it to sit down and say, I'm going to write a really great one now? I mean, this is yeah. really a terrific book. There's no doubt in my mind it's terrific. It's, and it, it just feels really good. It just, and it's so compelling. That, that's the big thing. I mean, I, anybody who picks this book up is going to get right into the story, and that is so important. Like I said, it, it's just that important to to feel like you can you can relate to the characters you can like the as a writer do you feel like you you sh you have to like every character you write uh not every character but every main character yeah 
you know, there's some subsidiary characters in this book, like the uh, the hedge fund manager, for example, who's building the house. Right. I didn't like him at all, but right. you're not supposed to, you, nobody's supposed to like him. I don't <laughs> even like his okay. daughter. <laughs> <laughs> she seems like a manipulative, pers- manipulative person to, yeah, to, the, right. to the nth degree, but <laughs> is she? I mean, who knows? I haven't gotten through the, I haven't gotten through the whole book yet. I'm, 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 so, I'm so wrapped up in it now. I wish I were reading it now. And that's true. I do wish I was reading it now. Oh, how nice. And that must be nice to hear. What, what's the nicest thing you've ever heard as a writer? I mean, from, from your audience, from anybody. What's the nicest thing you've ever heard? You know, probably just what, what you said a couple times is I couldn't put it down. But, you know, you can hear a lot of other stuff like your, your prose is so evocative or, you know, you do this such and such. But to say you, I can't put it down really tells me that I've accomplished what I set out to do, which is, you know, to, to rivet the reader and get them in. But I have to tell you a funny story about that. My mother-in-law, when she was reading one of my earlier books, wanted to, she was in the middle of it, and she, she was already up in years at, at this time and, uh, and got, got easily confused in what she was trying to say. And she said, oh, I just can't wait to put it down. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm, I hope she doesn't mean that literally. I think she got her metaphors mixed up there. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's really funny. As an author, you have to have a sense of humor, right? That's, yes, you do. That, anything in life, you have to have a sense of humor. If you, if you take life too seriously, I mean, that's why people have heart attacks. You, you've got to be able to relax and enjoy your life. Yeah. Or what's the, what's the point, you know? And I guess the same, it's the same with the writer. When you're sitting writing a book and you're, you're agonizing, what should I do next? Where do I go from here? How do I wrap this up? You still have to have a sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, do you... Do you back to your earlier questions about what the nicest thing that people said. I have a part two to that answer, which is I couldn't stop thinking about it after I finished reading it. I kept revisiting it in my mind. And I like that, too, you know, that, that you've, you've struck a chord where people are, even if they disagree, you know, like, I would never have done what she did, but you, it makes them think about what they would do in that situation. Uh, I, I think that I feel like I'm a success if I make them think that way. Now, are you are you completely retired from law now? Are you done with? I am. I am completely completely severed all ties and not even an active member of the bar anymore. I took retired status. So, how many years did you do that? Twenty. 2025. Oh my gosh, that's a yeah, long time. Yeah. Yes, it was long enough. Were you, were you ever threatened? Were you ever in danger? Because of my law practice? Yes. Uh, not, not threatened by people, but I occasionally got myself into situations that, in hindsight, were probably a little dangerous uh, to do. Uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the big tank farms in South Philly? where mm-hmm. those giant tanks are. Right. I had a lawsuit involving one of those tanks once, and we had to do an inspection. We had expert witnesses, mm. and we actually opened the door at the bottom and tramped inside, and afterwards people were telling me, why did you do that? You never should have gone in there. You know, it's flammable. You could have gone up in a minute. You could have, you could have inhaled substances, and it never, never occurred to me, you know. <laughs> But looking you know, back on it now, you're probably laughing. I think, well, what was I'm the, laughing now. Yes. <laughs> what am I? What was I thinking? How stupid was I? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes well, I feel- never felt. Yeah, I never felt threatened by a client or you know an adversary. Fortunately, I never had that kind of practice. Fortunately. Right. Exactly. And you know, you wonder what I mean. Lawyers get such a bad reputation nowadays. <laughs> yeah, and some of it deserved. I think, I'm thinking of the guy on Breaking Bad, that lawyer on Breaking Bad. And I, oh, Better Call Saul. Oh, my God. I mean, just a, one, of, one of those characters, you, you, once you see them, you never forget them. And it's like, and what if I knew somebody like that? What a snake, you know? And, oh, he's the quintessential sleazy lawyer and an operator. <laughs> it must be. I mean, all you can think of is what great fun it must be to play that character. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, every day you go in and, well, what can I get up to today? You know, like J.R. Ewing. You know, it's like, who's going to hate me today? You know, <laughs> that, but what fun that must be! Is is yeah. there that is there that fun in writing in creating characters like that? But especially the ones that are sort of out there, you know, the kind of flamboyant characters, mm-hmm. uh, where you're you're giving them uh, purposefully giving them sort of larger than life characteristics. That's a lot of fun. But it's but interesting. I, I re- want to keep it still realistic. You know? Right. Exactly. It's interesting. With these, with the Reverend, I, I keep mentioning the Reverend because he, he's such a, for some reason he's the character I, I, I'm, I'm obsessed about. I don't know why. But as soon as we meet him, we, we, like I said, you feel like you know this character. You feel like, you, oh man, this guy is really terrific. 
is she going to fall in love with this guy, or what's going to happen with this guy? And, and that, it's so interesting. He he brings a whole level of interesting to the book, which is so important. I mean, sometimes you have that character that just jumps out of the page, you know, just jumps and 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 speaks to you. You want more from that character. I'm delighted to hear that. There, there's a book. There's a book series by Alan Bradley. Were, uh, Flavia Deleuze. I don't know if you've read any of them. No. Uh-uh. Absolutely. There's ten books, and they're absolutely. There's this twelve-year-old girl who's obsessed with poisons, huh? and there she's absolutely the most wonderful character, and she and she's got all these things floating through her mind, and and of course they're mysteries. So there's murders and things, and 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 fingers and and wedding cakes and things like that, and it's just <laughs> wonderful books, and. and you know, that's what the wonderful thing about books is you fall in love with a certain character. And this book is The Reverend and, uh, you know, and also Lay. I kind of like Lay, too, but I, I feel kind of bad for her. And it's funny how it's funny how with Kip I get angry at Kip. You know, you have all these different feelings yep. for the characters. Yep. I had readers tell me conflicting things about Kip. It's very interesting. He's a polarizing character. And some people are, uh, you know, oh, he's such a snot. You know, I just, I wanted to smack that kid. And other people are like, you know, the poor boy, you know, and and uh, his stepmother is not supportive enough of him. I've heard both both sides of that. It's very interesting. And that's that's the beauty of it. That people are discussing it. That's what Dennis yeah, Lehane yeah. said one time. He says, "I don't care whether you love or hate my books. Just don't be apathetic to them." Oh, very good line. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, just don't. Yeah, I don't care one way or the other about it. That, that's yeah. what bothered him. And I find, I find that fascinating. I mean, the quotes that people say, or if you ever read a book of quotes, they're just the most fascinating things in the world, you know, just to hear these little things of wisdom that people have. Uh-huh. Now, you say you're working on another book? Yes. Is it uh, along the se- is it anything like this as far as the domestic suspense, the domestic thriller? Uh, you know, it's it's definitely suspense, uh, but I probably wouldn't characterize it as domestic. It's more of a workplace uh, thriller involving some corporate malfeasance. Oh, not like dis- and, not like disclosure. That was different. Oh. Uh, no, not like that. No, corporate, but different, different corporate. I love that movie. I love that book, Disclosure. That was, that uh, was fascinating. Yeah, it was. Very timely today, too. <laughs> what do you, What do you find as you read books? Do you find you learn a lot of things as you're reading books? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that's so important. And and people say to me, well, I don't, I don't read. I don't like to read. And I think to myself, all I can think oh. of is what they're missing. You know, and especially people who say, I never read fiction. I only read to educate myself about something. Well, first of all, you can educate yourself through reading fiction, as we just mentioned. You can learn a lot of things along the way. Oh, yeah. But to say I never read fiction is to say, you know, I'm not interested in anybody else's perspective. I'm not interested in, in delving into anybody else's, you know, point of view or being empathetic toward other people. Because that's what you do when you read fiction. You're enter- entering somebody somebody else's world and seeing events through their eyes. And to just shut to shut yourself off from that tells me you're leading a very you know blinkered what is that the right word tunnel vision you know you're just focusing on yourself to the exclusion of of uh, everything else. Anyway, I love fiction. Yeah, it, it, I and I've always been in love with fiction. I even though you know maybe it isn't real, but it's certainly real to me as I'm reading it, and it feels real. And that's really all that's important that the reader feel that it's really happening. And that that's so important. Now, none of, are any of your books series, or were they all standalones? All standalones. Every one. Yes. Yep. So you don't you're not a, a fan of having a series. And my my earlier editor, back when I was writing as Bonnie McDougall, uh, would have liked me to have done a series, and I just never. I always felt as though I kind of put my characters through the ringer, and then I'm done with them. You know, I've gotten them to a, to a better place at the end of the book, and I don't want to put them through the ringer again. It would seem repetitive. Also, my books never have the sort of um, prototypical sleuth who's not really a player, but rather observing and, and uh, you know, like, uh, oh, I've forgotten, the, I've forgotten the most famous sleuth in the alphabet books, Sue Grafton's alphabet books. Oh, Skinsy yeah, Mill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, where, where she's involved, but it's, the stories are not about her. It's about, you know, the case that she's... Anyway, in my books, the story's always about the main character. Um, and so I think it would be more difficult to turn any of those into uh, into a series. But at any rate, you know, I when I start a new book, 
the first question in my mind is, well, I guess the first question is, will readers be interested in this? But the, the second question is, will I be interested enough? Because it, it takes me, you know, a couple of years to write a book, and I don't want to get bored with it mm-hmm. before I finish, because then I won't finish. Uh, so I want to be sure it's a subject that's sufficiently interesting and compelling to me and new to me uh, that, I, that I can keep going for the length of time it takes. Do you have, any, you have any uncompleted books? I do. I'm ashamed to say I do. You do? <laughs> but, but one of them I'm planning to come back after I finish my current book. I'm planning to come back to it because I have some new ideas of how to how to turn it around, and uh, and that that may be the follow up if, if all goes well. How interesting that that you that you would admit to that. <laughs> I wonder what they probably wouldn't admit to it. They probably is that right? That well, I don't know. I mean, that Stephen King has all has drawers full of uh, manuscripts that have not yet come out, and, and <laughs> what a brilliant, what a brilliant everybody's dying one. to get their hands on them. Oh, I know. And so prolific. Imagine he, that he's written things that haven't even been published when you just look at all the stuff he has published. <laughs> he's just an amazing human being. There's just no other word for it. I mean, he's just... He's just he really is. He's got to be so... He's 70, like 71 years old, and he's still writing brilliant books. Uh, he, ha- yep. he had a little glitch when he had his accident. His books got very, very yeah. strange. Yeah. It was like it affected his mind, but then he then he came back, and he's he's yeah. been brilliant ever since. But it's interesting that little dip. There was that little dip. It was like a like a, a baseball player slump or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> but there, then he came back, and, he, and then he was going to retire, and then he wasn't. <laughs> but I, I, when you sit and you write and and you you try to think of things, I mean, are there days where you just say, "What am I thinking? Why do I think I can write?" Oh, absolutely. You do go through that. What do they call that? Imposter syndrome. Is that what, is that what it is? Imposter syndrome. Yes. I've never heard that before. Who am I? Oh, yeah. Apparently, a lot of writers uh, identify with this. Where it's like, you know, this getting this last book published was a total fluke. I'm, I have no talent whatsoever. Well, how do you get over that? What, do you eat chocolate, or what do you do? <laughs> I do. I do eat a lot of chocolate. <laughs> chocolate seems oh, to be. Know, a- I find that I have to step away. And, and I'm not like a lot of writers who commit to a certain number of words a day or a certain number of hours a day. I, if, if I'm not feeling it, I just walk away. And I, I have lots of other things happening, inter- interesting, fun things in my life. That lots I of chocolate today. in the fridge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I go- garden for a while. And, uh, and, then see, and when I'm doing something else, I often find that that's when my best, when, I'm, when I go for my morning run, that's when a lot of my best ideas come to me. So I, I think the time away from the computer is often very well spent. So the ending of this book, how did did it suddenly come to you, or was it a long, long process? I know you said you struggled with it, but I mean, how fast did it come when it finally came? I think when it finally came, when the, you know the proverbial light bulb went off, all the pieces fit in, into place pretty quickly, and it was uh, it really was once I decided, you know, we've been building up to this trial, the whole book. We need to get into that courtroom. And a couple of my other ver- earlier versions, you didn't get into the courtroom because it's, well, you'll see. But, <laughs> but, but I, once I decided, yeah, we need to get into that courtroom, then all the pieces just fell into place. I find that the, the courtroom scenes add a lot to a book. I really, really feel, I mean, I think of that book by Richard North Patterson, Degree of Guilt. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Yep. What a tremendous book that was. And without the courtroom scenes, where would it be? Nowhere. You'd have uh-huh, nothing. Uh-huh. And that, that's how much it adds to the, to the, to the book. I, I hear they're bringing Perry Mason back now. And I saw that too. That should be really interesting. But in Perry Mason in like the 30s, and it's like, what? <laughs> but it sounds interesting enough that I would watch it. I would definitely watch the first episode. But, you know, so, so courtroom stuff is always going to be in. I mean, people love that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, who didn't like Jessica Fletcher running around the country with dead bodies, always <laughs> popping up, you know? And yeah, it was enjoyable to watch. It was enjoyable to watch her reaction to it. You know, that's that's what the fun of it is. So I wrote an essay recently that uh, was published on a website, but it's also on my blog uh, called Five Classic Fictional Trials. And I do. I went through, uh, you know, Anatomy of a Murder and To Kill a Mockingbird, and in each instance talked about how the trial... It's it's this 
it's like this laboratory for finding the truth. That's the purpose. That's the way it was designed. But in so many instances, it has just the opposite result. You, know, and the tri- you go through the trial, and, and the truth isn't discovered at all. You know, something derails it along the way. And I, I found that a pretty interesting exercise to look at these witness for the prosecution, the Agatha Christie classic. Um, it, anyway, it's all in there. You can see it on my blog, on my website. Uh, but I, it's the courtroom is just a fascinating venue for any piece of fiction, I think, because it, it's like this microcosm where you put the adversaries there and here are the facts and we're going to bring them out and here's the fact finder sitting in the jury box, you know, and, and uh, it's, a, as I said, a, lab, a laboratory, you know, for finding the truth. If I asked your husband, what would he say? Is it difficult to live with a writer? It, <laughs> what would he say, do you think? He would say, well, he would be a sweetheart and say, no, it's wonderful, but the truth is it is difficult because he has to deal with my mood swings. Uh, and when I'm frustrated, you know, he, he do you ever do you ever get angry and say, "Leave me alone, I need to write." <laughs> well, I I say those words, but I don't say them angrily. <laughs> <laughs> you say he'll, come, he'll come, especially at the end of the day when he thinks that I'm I'm done my work day. He wants to sit and chat, and that's just the exact moment when I finally had a breakthrough and I want to write this passage. And I'll just say, "Working here, working here." <laughs> <laughs> In a nice he knows, way. He knows to go away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, "All right, leave her alone, or or there really will be trouble." <laughs> it's like, but I, but the right you're giving us a huge glimpse of a writer, which is wonderful. I don't usually ask these questions, uh-huh. but for some reason, it's fascinating to talk about to to see what a writer really goes through. I think you know, readers always want the next book. When's the next book coming out? When's the next? Book? And people are going. Uh, can't say. Can't say. People, exactly. People are. I know, that's the main thing your, your readers want to know. If they if they've liked your book at all, they want to know when's the when's the next one. What do you and think? Is, what do you, why do you think some writers are so great and some aren't? Why do you think that is? Why, I mean, what do you think makes the difference between a good writer and a bad writer? Well, that's a really good question, David, and I'm not sure I know the answer. Uh, I mean, in you your know, mind, a lot of it. You know, a lot of it is just innate talent. And I hate to say that because I know people like to, you know, think that you can learn anything. Right. And they go to creative writing classes and, you know, learn the tools. But I think if you don't have that innate talent, do you think you can teach yourself to write and write well? I don't think so. I think you have to be, first you have to be a natural-born storyteller. And that's something I think you're born with. Um, and then, then I do think, you, you know, you can teach yourself the skills of expressing your stories in well-written prose, and and that's important. Uh, when we were talking about you know flow and and um, you know going go, developing you know a story along, and those are steps that can be taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you if you don't have that sort of well, Dean, for, Dean Kuhn says anybody can write. And, oh, interesting. And but he did he didn't say anybody can write well though. He oh, just said anybody can write. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a huge difference between writing and writing well. I, yeah. But I think, I mean, I, I had a friend who gave me a book one time to read, and I started reading it, and I instantly hated it. Mm. And, you know, that's it's not a fun feeling. And I didn't tell her that. I kind of, like, didn't. I, I kind of didn't tell her the absolute truth because I didn't want to hurt her feelings, but I did not like the story at all. I think it's just, you know, how do you know that a writer's, that a reader's going to like what you wrote? That's the thing. I ha- Maybe you, you catch the attention of, of a couple of people, but how do you how do you capture the attention of a lot of people? That's the question. Yeah. yeah. And and do it well. I mean, how did how did John Grisham? And he started out. He starts out with a firm, which was absolutely riveting, yeah. and he has just become this this phenomenal in, in, powerhouse powerhouse writer how does that happen how how do you do that with this book house on fire you could easily do that and i think and that sounds like i'm being i'm totally lying but i this book is really that terrific oh thank you thank you and it's it's really it really gets your attention and it really grabs you in all the way through i know we have to let you go because you have appointments coming up and i you know and the day's hot here, so yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting hot just sitting here. But 
I want to. It's just been such a wonderful pleasure to talk to you again. I, it's been years since I talked to you before. Yeah, it's a pleasure to revisit with you after all this time. And 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 thank you for all the wonderful insights into being a writer. And everybody out there is like, wow, is that what it's like? Should I should I keep up with it? <laughs> but I, yes. I, I I worked with a girl who was trying to get her book published, and what the, this poor girl went through just broke my heart. I mean, mm-hmm. having them send the book back over and over, you know, you have to change this, you have to change that, you have to change that. You know what that's like. But I don't... Did she have a happy ending? No, I don't think she... Oh, not okay. yet, I don't think. Yeah. Not that yeah. I've heard about it. I'll have to find out because I haven't heard from her for a long time. But, you know, you wonder, you know, when you hear that, you think, oh, God, if it's that hard to publish a book, why would you even try? Yes. Unless you're really that fantastic at it. So you, you have to have do you you, think you have to have some self confidence. Yeah, you have to think I've written something good. This, and, this is something. Or I, I know I can get. Don't you love people who say that when they met their wives, they knew they were going to marry them right uh, away? <laughs> Wait a minute, really? How you would, couldn't have. How did you know that? You don't even know how they're going to react to you. But, but there are people who say that they continue, yeah. and, and maybe the same with writing. You just you just start writing. You say, I know I'm going to get this published. I know I'm going to get it published, and that that idea that you can do it, you know, that that determination can mean a lot. Yeah. I can't say that I've ever written anything thinking I know this is going to be published. But what I think every time is that this is a story I really want to tell. I really want but to didn't tell you know, story. But didn't you know writing House on Fire that it was something something interesting, something special? I, you know, I can't say that. I mean, it was special to me, but I can't say that I really knew that until I had the reactions of, you know, of my first readers. Right. Uh, now, did they get to read it after you were already done? Or did they get... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, would all, I already had the first draft done before anybody saw it. Right. I, I, don't, I don't have people read stuff in progress. I wait until it's done. I remember Lisa Scottolini, who's now world famous, she came oh, to yeah. one of our book club meetings when she had first put her first book out. And this is always going to haunt me for the rest of my life. We had this guy... <laughs> He had a notepad, and he went through every line of his notepad with all the complaints he had about her book, oh. right to her face. Oh. It was the most humiliating experience I've ever, and I felt every time he said something, I felt for poor Lisa. But well, look how where, did she handle it? Very well, but I as I recall, very well, but I'm yeah. sure it hurt her deeply. Mm. But you know, well, maybe she, she's had the last laugh. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what you need sometimes. Maybe you need people to say this, this, this isn't working. Maybe it hurts, but maybe it can help you in the long run. Oh sure. I mean, maybe yeah, no, because criticism, as long as it con- it's constructive, is is vitally important. Exactly. Even if it hurts you, so what? You go yeah, through hurt. Yeah. You get, to get the hurt, you get to, you get the good stuff. You have to go through the hurt. You have to go through that pain to get to, it's like childbearing. childbearing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the pleasure comes after the, the, the pain. That's a whole other subject. I can't believe that's, I, that's a good analogy, though. That's a good analogy. <laughs> I can't believe I'm bringing like, Where did I get from writing books to birthing babies? I, <laughs> I have no idea. It's been a pleasure, Bonnie. And the book, pleasure, David. And the, and the book, again, is called House on Fire by Bonnie Kistler. It's out from Atria Books and all your bookstores. Is it in audio? It is. And who? And nice, nice audio recording. Uh, the reader is Cassandra Campbell, oh. um, who's an excellent reader. She did uh, Where the Crawdads Sing and many others. Oh, wow, um, that's a tremendous yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, wonderful. She did nice well, job. we'll look forward. To, you don't have a title for the next book yet, do you? Uh, keeping it under wraps. Oh, okay. That's not the title, right? That's not the title. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You're fine. You're, you're really fun to talk to. Thank you so much for this. And this has been David's Book Talk. We'll talk to you next time. You have just enjoyed the podcast of David's Book Talk, brought to you by your host, book lover, David English. Please visit us at davidbooktalk.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast. We want to hear from you, and we don't want you to miss our upcoming shows with top authors like Mary Higgins Clark, Patricia Cornwell, Lisa Scottolini, Jackie Collins, Nelson DeMille, Michael Connolly, Sue Grafton, Steve Martini, Dale Brown, David Baldacci.